I also talk about in the book, FOMO, like tremendous mom guilt comes with a lot of FOMO and fear of Mm -hmm. missing out. Mm -hmm. But instead, I really have been set free by the notion of certainty of missing out on some things and being all in where I can, but also just instead of constantly feeling that failure or constantly having that fear of missing out, that certainty has been really helpful where it's like, yep, I'm with you right now. This is exactly what I want to be doing and where I am. And I am certainly not doing that camp drop off today. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalgleish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. Today, I am sitting with Stephanie Kramer, and we are talking all about navigating pregnancy, parenthood, and work. Truthfully, this is a conversation I wish I had had before having children. But despite my children now being a little bit older, and I'm out of those early postpartum years, I still found this conversation incredibly grounding. So I am grateful that you clicked play, that you are giving me your time today, that you are joining us here on the podcast. Let me tell you about today's guest. Stephanie Kramer is the author of Carrie Strong, an empowered approach to navigating pregnancy and work. She is a beauty industry senior executive in New York City, the CHRO, Chief Human Resources Officer of L'Oreal USA, an adjunct professor of management communication in the graduate business program at the Fashion Institute of Technology, and she serves on the program's industry advisory board. She is a proud mother of two young children, and she has been featured as a speaker at several colleges and universities, including the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, Harvard University, and New York University. Stephanie deeply believes that you can do it all, not at the same time, and not alone. Let's go into today's episode. Stephanie, I'm so glad that we are sitting together today. I'm holding your book, Carrie Strong. (laughs) Thank you. You've put into the world this amazing piece of work, and I can't wait for us to talk about it and for my community to hear about how they can feel more empowered in terms of navigating that pregnancy and work. But before we go in to this conversation, tell us about you, tell us the work you are doing and what led you to this book. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me and thank you for creating a community of support. I think that's absolutely part of, you know, what the objective was with creating Carrie Strong, but also, you know, in my everyday. So my name is Stephanie Kramer. I'm um, actually my day job is I'm the chief human resources officer at L'Oreal USA. I am the mom of two young sons. And I'm the author of Carrie Strong, An Empowered Approach to Navigating Pregnancy and Work, which came out in May of 2023 from Penguin Life. So a lot of different titles and things like that. But at the end of the day, my purpose is really to, you know, with the book, flip the script on a cultural constant and with some pragmatic optimism, 
support working women in this important phase in their life. I'm curious. So I know for myself with my book coming out that it came not just from what kept showing up in front of me, but also part of my own personal experience and how there were those similarities between that. I'm curious if that was a driving force for you in terms of what you experienced in your own life and the transition to becoming mom and having two kids. Yeah, so nearly 10 years ago or more than 10 years ago, that's when I was first pregnant and then not pregnant and pregnant again at work, which no readers and listeners will hear about. But for me, then it became a behind closed doors kind of conversation where when people needed advice or you'd connect about these, you know, the important, the big and the small of the power of motherhood. But then I saw the pandemic happen and I saw these women providing for their families while taking care of all of us. And I wanted to do something more. I wanted to create a resource. I wanted to do the research and I wanted to be a book. And, you know, you understand as a fellow author that it's a resource and it's the depth of something that you want to create while you can create a lot of other resources around it that um, allow people to have a foundation, whether it's for them or for their community, both at home or at work. And so that's really what the combination of my own experience, helping others, but then wanting to do more and reach more people. Yeah, it's just so powerful to be able to put this all together and to take those closed door conversations, which are happening every day for mothers everywhere, for women, and then to actually bring that to light. What were some of those pain points that you, or maybe even the conversations that you kept having that you're like, we're doing this, we're having this conversation. Oh, it's not just me, it's everybody else. So I kept realizing that there was both this heaviness that women were feeling one. And then there was also this levity on the other side. And so often when women would talk about motherhood in hindsight, it felt more like a superpower or a confidence, um, a capability, but there was this frame that they were feeling that they were up against a challenge before they even started. So that was one thing that I observed and I felt in the conversations. And that was how can someone else's hindsight be foresight for you know the future generations of working women around us. So that was one. The second part was we often talk about pregnancy and work from when there's a visible bump. And that is so far down the road, as you know, from when the process begins. So there are tremendous resources for the during and the after and a lot of conversations, particularly in the US, as you know, about about paid leave, about return to work. But I also knew that there's there this huge amount of time that was happening pre-preconception, during trying to conceive, during the silent time of pregnancy. So it was really for me, those two drivers where I was like, okay, there's something here that there's some positive that maybe we're not seeing, but also there's a balance in the challenges and how to support women that time. But that also this kind of extending the timeline that I thought was really important to do um, in order to reach people, you know, before they really needed any kind of resource at all. So those two things were the foundation for the work that I wanted to do and dovetail into so much other work that has been done in this kind of general area, but not really in the same way. When I think of my own experience, I remember speaking with one of my dear friends. She's also a psychologist and very much that early planning. What does it mean for us to get pregnant? What does it mean for our clients? What does it mean for the clinics that we're working with? And there's so much planning and dreaming ahead of time. And then I can remember deeply, especially with my first pregnant, well, no, both pregnancies, 
my second pregnancy, I threw up multiple times a day and that was incredibly hard. Um, but my first pregnancy, it was that silence, that suffering in a way in those first few weeks of, I am sick. Am I going to make it through this session? Will my client, I mean, of course, being direct with clients, will my client notice if I'm eating a cracker? (laughs) (laughs) I did not eat crackers in session, but my goodness, my mind wandered a lot. And the challenge within that was just this silence within myself of what am I doing to prepare myself? How do I have conversations with people? And of course, that wanting to wait till a certain marker until we share pregnancy news and Ah, there's so much mixed in there that it does feel like there's this kind of silent heaviness. One of the words of wisdom passed on to me that I love sharing with pregnant women is that you are silently climbing a mountain every day. You're doing that and nobody knows the experience inside of you, especially in those first several weeks where maybe you're someone who's choosing not to share or the bump's not visible, right? It's quite different when something is visible and it's painful. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Factor. There are many times in the week when I need to phone it in for dinner. It's been a full day of clients, the kids are having big feelings, or I'm just tired. But I don't just want to reach for fast food. I want something that is delicious, ready to eat, affordable, and includes a nutritious meal. And factors ready to eat meals, snacks like my go-to midday bites and smoothies all meet what I am looking for. Factors pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals are delivered right to your door. It doesn't get any easier than that. And I love that they have over 35 different options a week to choose from. And they have over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. Something I'm really conscious about right now is my budgeting around food. So Factor has done the math for us and it is less expensive than takeout and it doesn't compromise on nutrition and taste. Plus, there's so much flexibility. You can choose from six to 18 meals per week and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Join me and take the extra load out of meal prep and menu planning. Head to factormeals.com slash INYS50 and use the code they've gifted to my community, INYS50, to get 50% off. That's code INYS50 at factormeals.com slash INYS50 and save 50% off and make this week's meal planning and menu so much easier. this intangibility of something you've also wanted for so long. So you're climbing this mountain, you have this hope in the distance, you want to share the news, but you feel like this push-pull between, you know, something that's so wonderful, you know, this tremendous amount of joy, but there's also this fear. And for so many women too, just getting to base camp for that mountain is so much. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why you know, the timeline part was so important for me in the book is that it's not necessarily just delineated by that doctor's appointment timing or by, you know, a number of weeks before you're ready to share your news in different ways. And in fact, you might need to do it much earlier Mm -hmm. than 
um, or you might want to much earlier than those kind of guidelines, or you also might want to wait. And I think that that part for me, identifying it and giving it a name, like I call it the hush, actually for a lot of women are like, oh, that's actually really freeing because at least I know I'm in control of one thing which is this is my news, this is what I need. And maybe it's not necessarily even telling someone or your boss or HR or your friends and your family even that you're pregnant, but you can also say, I'm going through something really personal and I just want to let you know because I'm dealing with that. And that can be freeing too. So I love that visual. And I think there's so much power to even just having that in your mind as you're doing it. I love that, the hush, it's beautiful. What I'm really sensing, Stephanie, is that you're saying, let's elongate this. I'm thinking in the context of working with so many moms and my own motherhood journey as well, where we go through pregnancy, everybody is asking how you're doing, how are you feeling, the baby shower, they're celebrating you, and then baby arrives. And actually, this is one of of my bigger posts where I had said, but who sees mom? Who comes and holds mom? Who's asking mom how she's doing, how she's doing in her relationship? and her relationship with herself. And even that identity piece, I I remember feeling this deep sense of being turned upside down from my identity. And everybody was asking, Oh, how's baby? How's baby sleeping? How's your city? Right? And it's like, I'm supposed to be happy right now. And yet I don't understand how I'm supposed to do all of this. It's interesting. I saw something I think even yesterday from uh, Neha Rush, she, she was of um, Motherhood Untitled, Mothers Untitled. And she was saying, you know, there's often this, and I even use it in, in one of the chapters, something that's lost and something that's found. But it's interesting because she says it's not necessarily lost and found, but it's also just finding yourself and being yourself. But it changes also so much. So I love that I, notion of finding yourself and just identity. And in fact, in the book, so that's the fifth chapter, and it was the last one that I wrote. And it was super hard to write because it was so profound and important, but also it changes. So you might be like, I'm exactly who I am. Or, you know, a week later, three days later, it's like, but I'm not, I'm a totally different person. And you're almost adjusting throughout the phases from pre-pregnancy through when you're pregnant to that return to work or just, you know, postpartum. And then into right now, I have children that are nine and five, and it's a very different identity piece there too with motherhood, but it's profound. And I think that it continues to evolve. It continues to have an impact. And as we're talking about heaviness or weight, it's how do we lift that off too and make it something that's actually very fueling to who we are. My agent recently asked me, what was your hardest chapter to write? What was the hardest case to write in the book? And after I had told her, she probed around why. And she said, oftentimes the hardest chapter is the one that we are struggling the most with. For sure. Yeah. And I I could just imagine being in your shoes and writing that identity chapter of, oh, this is so heavy. This is so big. And when you look at the big picture, but then you go to that one chapter, you're like, you just want to get it so right because it is such a big piece. And And Neha has this beautiful way of holding the both ends in the work that she's sharing. It's fantastic. I love that you brought her in. I want to switch into work-life balance. I remember, gosh, this must have been after my second was born. I was full-time private practice at that point. I had left a family health team. I was there three days a week, which was a public position so that I could see the patients for free at the clinic. I left that position 
needing to have more flexibility in my hours and closeness to home. So that was um, the driving force behind that. And I remember walking home being like, I'm not finding work-life balance. I don't know what that means. And who is finding this balance? So tell me how you understand this term and what you talk about here. It's funny. It's exactly that type of question that I think so many of us wrestle with is like, what is this balance? And and who has it? And what is the secret recipe? Because it seems a little bit ridiculous. And how long did you have the balance for? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and did you have it for 30 seconds, like a balance bike? Like it's like our, our children running their balance bikes for like, you know, 2.2 seconds. So I think for me, you know, the idea of work-life balance, first of all, gives a tremendous amount of credit to work where it's just part of our life. So it's part of our life. And I used to imagine it as a seesaw, like, okay, you're trying to keep these two things up. But in fact, like a seesaw that's in perfect balance isn't very fun. It's all about the movement and momentum that you create from imbalance. In fact, that's even, you know, in the book I talk about, that's physics, like having imbalance actually propels you forward or backward or in different directions. Right. So there's the reality of that. But then I started to think about it as much more fluid. And in fact, I recognize personally and also with so many women that shared their stories in the book that it's so much more of a fluid approach that some days, like you're describing, when you're in you know multiple sessions and you're with clients and you're feeling very connected to your work, and in fact, you need to be because that's how we show up for others in our professions, but then you can shift. And that might be a day where you actually feel, you know, more, I don't know, 80, 20 or 60, 40, then you're trying to have this 50, 50. And it might not just be, by the way, work and life. It might be all these other things with caring for our children or writing a book or other dimensions of, of our lives and who we are, you know, training for a marathon. So I think for me, I like to imagine this fluid approach also having that time element taken into consideration. So is it something where for a week, you know, I have a really important work meeting or I have a work travel, or in fact, it's just a amount of focus. Uh, or by the way, maybe it's just that my family doesn't need me as much in that moment too. So if you have more of that sliding scale, which can be for a week, it could be for a day where it's just how do I slide throughout my day? It doesn't feel like you're always keeping score against something that frankly isn't very attainable or very, um, very fun at all seeing my children grow, I often have this feeling. So it's my kind of wish of balance. This is very much my, my brain that enjoys order and control and certainty. And so I, I think, okay, I will be at the office. And then I'm leaving here at 450. Although my husband would say you're always 20 minutes after you say you're going to leave. So I leave, I leave the office, I get home and I think, okay, this is the time for me to be with the kids. My work brain is done. Phone's away. I'm here. I'm ready to play. And then they don't want to play. <laughs> and it's, okay. like, it's like, but this is this is my time for you here. And, and it, it is that that flexibility that, that was coming to mind as you're saying that in the sense of there are these moments of intensity where I need to be in there. And then there's these moments of ebbing and like, it's the ebb and flow. Stephanie, I, I wonder if you can relate to this, um, especially going through the book process. So right now, being a few weeks out from launch, my youngest, she's my barnacle baby. And lots of just that her physical connection bucket is really big. It's, it's something I, I deeply admire about her. And the other day, she cried for two hours because she was missing her toy kitchen that she had agreed to um, gift on to another little guy in the neighborhood. And both of my kids said, yes, we're done with this. We thank the gift for moving on with it. 
And then for two hours, she cried for kitschy. (laughs) I've never heard her call it that before. So I understand it's not about the kitchen, that she is missing this attention and this way of playing and tying together. And part of it is missing me because I'm not around as much right now. And And it's pulling for this, okay, how do I then flex right now? So I packaged things up at work a little bit earlier the other day. I went to drop off to pick her up. I'm, you know, it's just this desire of, I am going to hold both of these roles. I want to launch this book. I want to be with my clients. I'm supporting them still. We're doing the podcast. We're doing all these things. And this role also is really important. So where am I choosing to pour that water moment to moment rather than I can only be this way or I can only be that way. So first of all, I completely relate to that. And it's funny because even sometimes when I say the advice of you're fluid throughout your day, it's exactly that where I'll be like, you know what, today for myself, I need to fill up that reservoir with my family. And then it's exactly when they don't need you or they don't really want you around. And we can't force that. You know, it, it's we, we also can't force it, by the way, to be all in on our project if everybody else is like, but that's in three weeks. <laughs> why, why right now do you want to get ahead on this? And it's like, well, I have these other parts of me and, you know, can be um, not the easiest approach. But I do think that one of the biggest pieces of that flexibility or that fluidity is recognizing there's going to be moments where you can't. And you just need to say, you know what, today was supposed to be all in on the book and it's just not going to happen. And I need to be with my daughter and she needs me in this way. And I'm going to give her my full attention. And I feel like, in fact, that actually also can be part of the kind of freeing of that fluidity is the recognition that that shift is going to happen. You know, and sometimes it just has to. And the, the, you, you know, my son, Unfortunately, you know, as all mothers do, or many, many caregiving parents at this time of year have a tremendous amount of school forms to fill out. And I got the notification that a a vaccine had lapsed that I did not realize at all. So that I, of course, had to be the one to call the office and beg for the appointment (laughs) to get the shot. But it's like, yep, that's what's going to happen now. And the rejiggering and the reprioritization happens. And that's part of the fluidity too. And that's part of, I think, one of the amazing things you learn as a parent and particularly as a working parent or multidimensional working parent. It's like, all right, so you know what? Someone else is going to have to help out with Kitschy because I have a deadline and I need to do this. Mm -hmm. And in fact, for our kids, I think it's a powerful lesson for them too, that there's other things that we care about we care about them the most. And they're obviously, if there's an emergency, we're there for them. But it also shows that we are also, you know, our whole selves too. There's this piece here I want us to call out that will work against us and lead into rigidity or doing things that are not aligned. From a therapeutic perspective, I come from an acceptance and commitment therapy perspective, tuning into what's meaningful to us and choosing the things we do for that space, going towards our values. But we often get stuck in these thoughts and feelings that pull us away from our values. And when we're talking about this, I know many moms struggle with guilt or shame, or this, I'm not enough, I'm not doing enough. And I should, I should be home more, I should give more. And really calling out 
those thoughts and feelings, I think they need space. I think they need to be acknowledged and not just pushed away, but also not bought into in terms of, okay, I feel so guilty. I'm just not going to do any of this. And then that just cascades into all kinds of other things. But this, this sense of, yeah, those hard thoughts and feelings are going to show up, especially if we put it to context of our socialization and what it means to be a working mom. And then how can we make space for those, invite those hard, I like to say, invite them in for tea, but ask them not to stay. And then you choose to move forward. It's interesting. You talk about like the the amount that we have in the pouring into cups. And in the book, I talk about, you know, I used to think of myself having this like one vessel and, you know, I would pour it into all of these different dimensions throughout the day, by the way, instead of the day, now thinking about it in a much more big picture way. Mm. And at the end of the day, I would have this cup and would be pouring it out and there was nothing left. There was just nothing left. And it was just shaking those drops of what was left for me. But instead, with the idea of that purpose, or for me, I often think about it of unconstraining potential or helping others, you know, through all the different things that I do, including, by the way, my children, it's all these little cups that have different amounts in different days. And I pour them into kind of that one vessel of who I am, which is overflowing because it's coming from all the different places. So in fact, that, you know, concern or or fear of failure within all those little dimensions is actually negated because in fact, they're all filling me up in a different way at different times. And then secondly, I think that, you know, I also talk about in the book FOMO, like tremendous mom guilt comes with a lot of FOMO and fear of Mm -hmm. missing out. Mm -hmm. But instead, I really have been set free by the notion of certainty of missing out on some things and being all in where I can, but also just instead of constantly feeling that failure or constantly having that fear of missing out, that certainty has been really helpful where it's like, yep, I'm with you right now. This is exactly what I want to be doing and where I am. And I am certainly not doing that camp drop off today. And that's okay. I like this acronym. So we're going with Como because I've heard Jomo. So the joy of missing out. So we're going with Como. Certainty of missing out. The other day, I had to do a few more things on my to-do list and the kids needed special attention that day. And Greg, my husband, said, we're going to go mini golfing. And that pull inside of me was like, oh, I want to go mini golfing. I want to do this first experience with the kids. And I had to really say, okay, this is not the only time. Right. We are going to have a mini pie experience. And me having to do this piece right here is that sense of fluidity and flexibility. And that, oh gosh, remember where I was playing chess with my son last night and then doing Play Doh with my daughter in the morning? Those are okay. I had the same feeling. So last summer, when I was editing the book and a lot was going on and had a new job you know, and and I finished reading all of Harry Potter with my older son. And so we had gotten through the, the final book. I was a mess. The whole last two chapters, not because of, you know, also the end of the book. I was so sad because that was something we'd been doing together for a year. That was our special time. I was heartbroken. And my son looked at me and he was like, why are you crying? This is a very dramatic part of the book, mom. And I was like, because we've been reading this book and this is so special to me. And what a special time. And he was like, we're going to read another book, mom. And I was like, you are not feeling this intensity that this particular thing is this special moment that is, we're creating these, you know, lifelong memories together, probably a little bit. And, but it was more the concept of reading with my son than this finite dimension of this particular type of book. And it was, we'll read another book. And I, I was like, 
oh, that's such a nice feeling. Like, oh, there wasn't so much pressure on this. I mean, for that whole year, I didn't want to miss the reading. I was calling him on work trips. I had it on my Kindle. He would have it on the hardcover. And it was cool. And it was a really fun thing to stay connected to each other. But I actually was like, oh, yeah, you're right. We can read another book. (laughs) So We we can go into another one. Let's talk about some of the things that you're doing in the book. So you in the book talk about some core principles. So of course, people are going to go and check out Carrie Strong and grab the book. This is a good resource and not just for you, but also if you know anybody in this season right now, what are those principles? So the book is two parts. The first are five principles and the second is five phases. And we talked a little bit about the phases. So the principles are perspective, So perspective is, you know, critical, particularly in this phase of your life or any intersection of work and life um, that you need to zoom out and zoom into what's important. You have balance, which we talked about as well. So, you know, having it or or finding it, whatever that means for you. That piece right there, I read this. I'm like, yes, this is amazing. You had said you can have it all. You can't have it all right now. Or or, or, it's something I had said before. I can have it all. I can't have it all at the same time? Is that how you phrase it? I say you can have it all, not at the same time, and not alone. And all three oh, parts not alone. are so important. So often people say you can have it all, not at the same time. And I kind of joke about it. And I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> so <laughs> you can have it all, meaning a lot of times women and particularly, you know, in this time in their life, they need that permission, but it's from themselves. So you just have to remember, like, you can have it all, whatever your all is. It doesn't have to be all like everything, everything for everyone, then the not at the same time is really important. That's that fluidity. That's the reprioritization. That's, you know, what is your, what's important to you right now for your purpose. But the last part is super important and then not alone. So how, what systems do you need in place? What humans do you need in place? But the not alone and not feeling alone, even if it's just the stories of others. And I recognize that there are people who have to do a lot more and take a lot more of the burden within caregiving responsibility. But that doesn't mean you have to be fully alone in everything else that you're doing. So yes, the balance is you can do it all, not at the same time, not alone. And sometimes I say that mantra with like a really like beautiful, positive energy. And sometimes you can imagine, and if if those of you are listening and you're listening to that and you're in a different headspace, it's like, you can do it all, not at the same time and not alone. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> I find solstice in that too, that it's um, helpful to think about it different ways. So, so you have perspective, you have balance, community. So who's around you, communication, which is so crucial. And that's what I love about your work is that you get these tangible tools of communicating what you need, but also with respect for creating a conversation. And that's what's so important. And in fact, if you do that well, in these major life intersections like pregnancy and work, that can really benefit your career and just relationships overall by, you know, having strong communication skills. And then the last, the the tough one is identity. And um, I talk a lot about purpose in that chapter and give a lot of space to the stories uh, as well, because the book within those principles, there's advice and there's research, but there's also the stories between the chapters, which I very deliberately just let them be. Like let them have their space around them so that as you go through the book, you can reflect for yourself um, with an appreciation for others. The piece around identity is such a big one. I mean, we even think of what Eve Rotsky has been doing with the unicorn space. Um, Find Your Unicorn Space is her book. And just one of the most common things I hear 
from women, mothers particularly, and especially around age when their kids are three to five, so the kids are more independent, is I don't know what I like. I don't know who I am. What do you recommend for those mothers finding themselves in that spot? Yeah, I I write about in the book, um, and it's interesting, Eve's story in the book too, and there's these moments that you have, and I'm sure you have the same thing, where I remember staring in my closet, and it was like, who am I? (laughs) What does she wear? What does she wear to work? Like, it's, it's tough, because all of a sudden, so much changes. But there's two things to think about. One is the, the assessment that that can happen, you know, for your work and your life. And I I have two ways of thinking about that. One is to use a traffic light, something really simple. And the other is to use an assessment of kind of how to make the move. So the traffic light is, are you green? Are you feeling good? Like, and this could be work and life, but particularly if you're thinking about work, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm learning. I feel like I'm getting my energy. It's the people I'm doing it with. I feel driven and purposeful. And in fact, sometimes during pregnancy and work, people have a total fear about losing that. And so I actually say like, no, assess it because think about what that is and how you're going to maintain that. You don't have to lose it altogether. So that's the green. The yellow, there's something, there's a hesitancy and you have to unlock what that's coming from. Um, And that can be part of kind of that identity piece. I talk about it earlier in the perspective chapters, but it's still there. Or is there something red? There's something actually holding you back and stopping you from embracing the positives of that green or that hesitancy of the yellow. So that's, I think, one part that that could be helpful to people. And the other is when you're assessing any kind of move or any of these big emotions, and I would love your professional advice on this too, I often tell people three things. What do I want to learn right now? Or what do I want to teach? So the give and get that can be really fueling. Then there's the idea of (laughs) what am I good at? Like, where do I feel at ease? And the last part that's really important, and it's okay, is what do I need for my life right now? And that can change, and it can change over time. But sometimes when you feel those emotions, that intensity of identity, particularly with pregnancy, what I found from listening to the stories is like, take a pause and assess where that's coming from and let it set you up for where you want to go next. I'm thinking of even liminal spaces, how we feel uncomfortable when we don't know what's next or what's changing. Um, We think of entering a room, a doorway, standing in a hallway, and sitting in this space is actually about allowing yourself to be uncomfortable. And we as humans do not like tension, discomfort, uncomfortable emotions. I think of my kids when they're like, we're bored. I'm like, oh, boredom. Yeah, I know that feeling. It's kind of uncomfortable, right? Let's, and one day, I remember this, we were just hanging in the living room and their, you know, heads are like hanging off the couch and the chair. And it's like, yeah, let's just hang out in this hard feeling. Because when we do that, when we say to ourselves, okay, I feel upside down. I don't know who I am right now. Let me sit in this discomfort. Let me walk around in it. So from a therapeutic perspective, especially in the emotion focus space, we say, feel this discomfort. And explore it like you're walking into a room. Where do I feel it in my body? What images or what sensations or what memories does this discomfort stir up for me? And then as I listen to it and watch it unfold, asking myself, what do I need? And sometimes that need can be, I need movement. As something as simple as I need to move my body. 
Sometimes that need is I need connection. And then from there, right? So it's not necessarily, I've, I've always sort of um, had this knee jerk reaction when people are like, what are your hobbies? I don't know what my hobbies are. I don't know if I have hobbies, but I know what fills me up. I know what those needs are. And we, especially as women, have been taught to be the good girl, to not have needs, to push those down. And if, especially if you're angry or you don't, you're feeling any of the, you know, so-called not liked emotions, anger, anxiety, push those away. And the more we push the feelings and needs away, the harder it is for us to know who we are and what we need and where we want to go. And then using that framework you've offered, what are the steps? How do we actually do that? I love that idea coming into, I, I, in the book, I talk about fidere, like self-trust. You know, that also is something oh. that I heard over and over again from women who had gone through the experience of pregnancy and becoming a mother. Because you do, you actually have this power within you, you know, and it's something about that and that self-trust, even if you don't know where to go, the idea that you're giving yourself the time in the space, and maybe it's a certain amount of time you put against it. So sometimes even with people that I speak to, like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, maybe you don't have to figure it out right now. Why don't we like do all these other things, particularly with return to work? It's like that first, not just month, but the first like six months, three to six months, give yourself some space. Like uh -huh. you're going to do your work, you're going to show up for your teammates, but you're also going to be, you know, your child is going to be evolving quite a lot during that time and what they need. You don't have to figure it out right now. You know, trust yourself enough that you're going to assess if there's these major things you need to look out for, but instead be like, you know what? All right, it's August. I'm not going to overthink and over worry about this unless it's having this tremendous effect on me until December. Like give yourself a little bit of a pause. And that's, I found that that's been helpful. <laughs> yes. I was off for 12 and 13 months for my maternity leaves. Actually, that's not true to say that. I did go back clinically earlier on mm -hmm. uh, and I would see clients with private practice for maybe half a day or one day. I remember going back thinking everything is the same and I am completely different. The offices are the same. The furniture is the same. People coming in and out. They look, you know, kind of the same. Maybe shorter hair, longer hair. But I am so different. And I don't know what this looks like. And allowing myself to feel uncomfortable in that and giving myself permission. I actually started my Instagram space after my second maternity leave. And I remember continuing to feel, I think that was my intention for that year, 2018, which was permission, giving myself permission to not know what the road looks like, permission to struggle with that pull of work and home and kids, permission to not know how to integrate my own creativity or social life or even the things we needed in our marriage at that time. But I I absolutely love the framework that you are offering in Carry Strong. So Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today and for this piece of work. I'm going to share it with everybody. Tell us a bit more about where people can find you. Thank you so much. Well, first of all, this has been a fantastic conversation. I feel lighter even having it and sharing it. And my my word for the year, since you shared yours from the past, was is deliberate. And mm -hmm. so I'm very deliberate with the conversations that I want to have. And this one's been amazing. So thank you very much. Oh, uh, Stephanie, I have to tell you, I choked up in the middle there because when you're talking about the carrying both, I, I could feel that sense of 
what it means to be bringing a book into the world and to show my children how I'm anchoring into filling up this part of me. And then also those fleeting thoughts, they they don't stay too long of, am I missing my kids? Am I missing watching them grow? Am I making the wrong choice? And then I come back to centering into, you're making the conscious choice in this moment. And that's what we're aiming for. Absolutely. It's hard though. It's, it's so hard. hard. It's, it's hard. hard. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you there. Um. No, it's just, it's just, I have to only say that that the word, the deliberate word has been so powerful for me in mm. the same phase that we're both in. So, but you can find Carrie Strong You can visit the website, Carrie Strong Project and find it on Instagram, Carrie Strong Pregnancy, wherever books are sold. And um, if you're, if you're an audio person, because you're listening to this podcast, you can listen to it from Audible. If you're a physical person, my favorite book about the thing about the book is that the very first page says, pass it on and please sign it and share it with others. One thing women do really well with their pregnancy physical books is we pass it on to each other. So when you're passing on your other pregnancy related books, which are very important, by the way, about physical pregnancy, also sign and share, carry strong and give it with your support. Oh my goodness. I love it. I'm so, I'm thinking, I would like to keep this one on my bookshelf. So I will send one to you, Tracy. I'll sign it and then you can sign it and we can pass it on to someone. I would love that. I would love that. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful for our conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. See you next week.